VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we'll react to the FA Cup final at Wembley. As Liverpool win their second trophy of the season, we'll talk about their monster mentality, their great new signing, Luis Diaz, but we'll also reflect on Romelu Lukaku's performance and ask if he wasted his chance. We'll talk about the Women's FA Cup final as well as relentless Chelsea march on, events in the Premier League too, as Manchester City come from behind to get a point at West Ham United. But should Kevin De Bruyne have taken in that vital penalty. We'll talk about the relegation battle in full. This is the game. Hello there, it's Hugh Wizencroft. This is the game podcast, of course it is. I'm alongside Alison Rudd and Tony Cascarino, the former Celtic and Chelsea striker, is here. Millwall legend, of course. So much for us to discuss. It was the FA Cup final this weekend, so let's start at Wembley. In fact, a couple of great finals at Wembley to begin with. Liverpool, not no goals in this game uh, between Liverpool and Chelsea. Once again, just like the League Cup final, went to penalties and once again... It was Liverpool who got the job done. So there's not going to be any criticism for Liverpool during this podcast because we've got Alison Rudd, we've got Tony Cascarino. They love Liverpool with all their hearts. So I'm going to have to provide the realism here, OK? Because everyone talks about the best team in the world, Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp. That is two cup finals where they haven't even scored a goal, OK? One of them, a goalkeeper, missed the decisive penalty. This one, they actually had a penalty to win it and they missed it. And no one ever criticises Liverpool. You can't criticise Liverpool. And at the end of the game, everyone's like, oh, there you go. I couldn't believe it. I was like, well, yeah, they are a brilliant team. And yeah, they might be the best team in the world. But, my word, hit the back of the net. If you want to be the best team in the world, score a goal. Please. Anyway, I'm only I'm only jesting. Sorry, Pep. <laughs> I'm only joking with you. I'm only joking with you. It was a fantastic FA Cup final. <laughs> the only thing it missed was goals, like I say. But actually, I said this to a mate yesterday. It, it might have been a worse game had someone scored. Because, of course, that changes the approach. Both teams needed a goal and were going for a goal for so long. But obviously, if one went 1-0 up, they might have shot, shot up shop. Um, it might have been a really defensive end to the game. It might have been really scrappy and loads of fouls and stuff like that. It had the brilliance of two teams going end-to-end, trying to score a goal, just like football's meant to be played. So I'm happy it was nil-nil. The only thing I'm unhappy about is the fact that Chelsea didn't win. I mean, and Tony, you must be torn. You know, ex-Chelsea, yeah. Liverpool fan. How, yeah. did you, how did you find that final? Well, it was a re-indition of the League Cup final for me. It was exactly the same scenario developed all over the pitch. The amount of chances that were created. I mean, the finishing in them two games was woeful. It was extraordinary. <laughs> I mean, look, strikers and midfielders or whoever, you, you'll get judged on how clinical you can be to make the difference. The chances between the two games, I would, I, I don't know, I haven't sat there and watched the whole two games back and counted, but in the two games, F, obviously the FA Cup, League Cup final, I bet there was probably 15 to 20 really great opportunities for both teams. I mean, because they both equally had the, the same type of scenarios. Mm. I mean, whether it's Robertson hitting the post from two yards out, whether it's um, Pulisic had a load. Pulisic, Alonso had a couple. I yeah. mean, the chances were just there to be seen. And you you think with so much money and so many talented players on, on, on view that no one could make the breakthrough, which was extraordinary. I think that is partly down to deep respect that both sets of players had for the opposition goalkeeper. <laughs> there were, but there, seriously, there were moments when you felt, oh, you know... That, that, that he's trying to be inch perfect there, yeah, rather yeah, than just going yeah, for it. There's yeah. that extra s- split second of... Have you ever done that, Tony, where you've thought, oh, I know this keeper's brilliant, I'm going to have to yeah. be inch perfect, which means that you're not inch perfect because it just sails slightly wide because Neville you've thought, overthought it. I remember facing Neville, Neville Southall and having a little bit too much time and thinking... He was on top of me very quickly and like and thinking Neville... 
you know that that goalkeeper of huge stature and physical I mean you know he's a bit of a crazy guy anyway but he, he faced you head on mm. and that was quite intimidating because you, you do you do have that yeah definitely Peter Shilton as well I played for Villa against Peter Shilton I remember thinking he was 40 at the time mm. but he had a huge stature as a keeper uh, and like you say you, you sort of knew you if you had to beat him you've really got to beat him he's not going to give you anything you know that that difference that you're talking about. But I think that does account for a lot of those. Oh, it's two inches the wrong side of the post yeah. shots mm. that we had in both of those finals. To be honest, it's yeah. that you have to be. I don't know. You just must feel precise. you have to be absolutely really, perfect. Yeah, precise is yeah perfect. Precise, whatever word. Yeah, I think you have an element of that. But that's no different if you get on a one-on-one when you know you're with a, a centre half who's lightning quick. You know, mm. I remember playing against Paul Parker against QPR and. And I remember thinking the ball's down the channel and I was just waiting for him to go past me. And he did so in, a, in a split second, you know. And likewise, I played against Henri. And I remember thinking, I've ended up in a one-on-one. I was about 36 at the time. And he played <laughs> down the channel. And I was just thinking, go down injured. <laughs> you know, I remember thinking, just go down, because I knew Henri was around me. Yeah. Jamie Carragher probably had the same thought when he faced Henri and he got, you know, a hybrid yeah, and had yeah. that experience. Yeah. But the other, but the other element of the... Of- I agree with you, Tony. It was a bit Groundhog Day. Was it? it was yeah. very Groundhog Day actually yeah, yeah. watching the two games. Was that they they had? Um, I mean, Chelsea started sluggishly, nervously, defensively, but even so, I knew they would have within t- twenty minutes they'd have a spell where they were dominant. Mm. It's exactly what happened in the previous final. Yeah. It went in. It went in patches, roughly fifteen minute patches. Not scientifically, but roughly yeah, 50 yeah, minute yeah. patches where you felt, oh, they've clicked, mm. they're going for it, don't they look smooth and wonderful? It's not going to last. Sure enough, flipped, and the other side get that, get that 50 minute. I don't know why it's so metronomic in, well, in the final, the, the, as opposed, actually, in the league game. Four, it's a ju- bit like four that draws. As well. I mean, they've played each yeah. other four times this yeah. season and drew, yeah. drew every game. But it's not boredom. It's no. Not, they're, not count, they're not sort of just coming up against the same things and unable to change yeah. it. It just seems to be. The way those two teams are formulated, set up, run, they 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 can have the edge, but only for so long. I, I do definitely think that sort of the modern sports science, the idea of the the fitness levels now where they are, it, it is becoming as difficult to have the ball. Um, if you play as as well as Liverpool and, and Chelsea do when they're on it and the, the level of intensity that you have with it, just to keep that going. I mean, imagine what it's like to spend 15 minutes trying to get through Liverpool's press just because you've got the you know we like to think that if you have the ball then you're the one having an easy time of it but it must be difficult to keep the ball and be on it for that long period of time against Liverpool for example because they're all over you so I, I do definitely think sometimes it's just a bit of a lull where you give it away and you're like right do you know what they've got it for a bit <laughs> let's just try and be compact and stay behind the ball so and... do you think it's subconsciously or consciously what happens that, that happens then I do but I, I mean a part of it is they're obviously very quality opposition as well and once they do so I think it does click and you're you know you hit a groove you, have, you spend two minutes on the ball and then it's like right okay but you're implying that they accept lack of possession I, I, yeah they do I think they do I think they do I, I mean I'm not saying that they enjoy it but I think they do because it's so hard to play at that level for so long and I also think there's a part of it that thinks that it's a bit of it's a bit of of jousting where you do you do genuinely feel like right we've spent 15 minutes here we haven't got through them. Yeah, and you're like, right, let's try something else. Give them the ball. See well, if two wingbacks. See, yeah. yeah, see if maybe we win it back and we can counter and there's a little bit more space for us in behind mm. if Liverpool push on to us. And I do I do definitely think, you know, you're trying something. It's not working for 15 minutes. What do you do? Well, it's, you, you know, let's try it. If they've got it, maybe we'll nick it and we'll, we'll be, yeah. you know, I think it is part of it. Well, if you take the first 15 minutes, which Alison has alluded to, and likewise yourself, Hugh, is that... The two wingbacks for Chelsea, Rhys James and Alonso, didn't really venture past the halfway line. But as the, the, the first half wore on, it became, well, we're going to have to. Mm. You know, they're going to have to take a few more risks because Liverpool are quite obvious the way they play. They don't really change anything for every, anybody. Where Chelsea are going to be a little bit more unpredictable, like they're forwards. You, when you're never quite sure of the lineup with Chelsea. So with that, you know that. Tuchel's playing a more of a chess game. So he's accepting that Liverpool are going to play this way, but we're going to have to change slightly as the game wears on, which they did. And then they started causing uh, Liverpool problems. 
I thought it was a great FA Cup final, I've got to say. Um, the fact that my dog wanted to go for a walk during the second period <laughs> of extra time made it a little bit difficult oh, for me. Oh, well, extra time wasn't great. Yeah. I thought that yeah. was a bit of a waste of space. But I had, to to, I had to pause it, go out for a dog walk for 40 <gasps> minutes. You watched fake football then? Well, I, I turned off um, you know, all the mobile data and Wi-Fi, and so I, I didn't know what had happened. And I was at home alone with the dog, so there was no one ringing me saying, oh, my word, did you see that? I, I, I watched it you know, in complete innocence, which at least... Uh, ignorance, excuse me, which was at least, you know, something. I know, but yeah, you're right. It was mm. fake football. The good news is I don't live in Wembley anymore because obviously I couldn't, <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't have done that when I was younger. Um, but yeah, look, going back to the match, um, man of the match performance from Luis Diaz. I thought this was going to be one of the crucial areas, whether Reese James was right of a back three or the right wing back. And I actually thought Azpilicueta would have been the other player, but actually Trevor Shalaba started the game yeah. And Luis Diaz tore into him, particularly in the first half. Could have been a lot more. I know, yeah, yeah. The smug look on Alison Rudd's face just then when she realised that Liverpool have unearthed another superstar who's going to be at the club for the next 10 years. Oh, it was painful for me. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> um, he was great. The only thing that he didn't do was, was score a goal. But that constant threat... I mean, he's got a way to go in his career. He can improve. He will get better, but already looks like such a talent for this team. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, really. He... Has slotted in so well he was one of the players that was trying to lift the crowd I'm surprised they needed lifting but you know he was doing that urging that they do mm. to try and get the crowd going I think he was into it more than any other player like he couldn't mm. believe his luck in some respects but he wasn't overawed by it to have that combination of to appear proud and humble to have been signed by Liverpool a team he, he says he, he he's always loved and to form an instant uh, rapport with the fan base, uh, to be able to... Because you have to be sort of cocky when you're a forward and a little bit selfish sometimes. To be able to do that in a team that some people are saying could be the greatest ever team, especially if they win the quadruple, they would be the greatest ever team. To do that and still maintain your own uh, personality, belief in your in what you've got just testament to how that group are not scared of attracting new people in and the, the welcome he must have had and I, I would love to know exactly all the things that were said to him you know ahead of his first few games because he clearly from the way he plays believes you can form an instant rapport with the players on the pitch you don't need time to work out who's running where what type of pass you should play it, it it just it just gelled immediately and he just seems so happy it's it's astonishing i i think you could probably i'm struggling to think of another player who's come from abroad who wasn't a great of the game uh from a league that nobody really claims to be you know that great and has adapted to the Premier League and his new club so quickly. And yes, mm. you're right, Hugh. He didn't score, but in a sense, that didn't matter because he was. I think he would have. Sc he scared. Mm. He scared Chelsea. Mm. Bruno Fernandez wasn't bad when he came from. Yeah, what tangible evidence do you have of that? Uh, he won about four Player of the Month awards. No, in the but first in terms year. of how's he? How's that club hasn't grown? Has no, it? they haven't. They haven't, but there's a good argument to say Liverpool haven't grown. I mean, they, they probably would have been in this position without Luis Diaz. They're Diem. growing, though. They are, they, they are, they are. They're going yeah. in the right trajectory. I just, I just, I'm just going to argue because I'm, I can't stand the Can look I? of this smug face, Alison. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I want Everything you Bruno say, I, I am arguing with everything that you say for this okay, whole podcast. Okay, can I just say one little thing on, you know, Diaz's performance? Yeah. Do you know what went under the radio, and I can't believe that his performance has not been talked about, was Trent's. I thought he was scarily good. His passing was just extraordinary. And you know what? For as much, and I'm guilty of this as well, as much stick as he's had for his defensive qualities, the two balls that come across the face of the goal where he's got the, just beyond the post and he's just cleared for a corner. And I thought he handled Pulisic really well. And Alonso, they're a threat, you know. And, and a lot of times Trent gets left on his own because Liverpool are an offensive team that sometimes he gets just caught and Henderson can fill in for him. I thought Trent's passing. I mean, the ball he gave to Diaz for the golden opportunity, uh, the outside of his boot was, well, I mean, yeah. apart from De Bruyne, really, who, who can do that sort of pass? I thought Trent was amazing. And I had to do a composite before the game for the Times. And I put Reese, and I said the two were the best right-backs in the world. Reese for me or wing backs right or right backs I said I, I just tad give a 
give a head to uh, Reese. And I come around and think... What did you do that for? I, well, because I, I, I really was a coin flip. Honestly, Al, it was a coin flip between them. Do you regret them. it now, though? Well, no, but after his game, I thought... And I kept thinking of defensive qualities for uh, Trent as well. And that game was one of the best defensive performances I've seen from Trent. And that was one of the reasons why it was nil-nil. I, Gareth Southgate looked deeply uncomfortable to me watching that game. And I think it was partly because he he, he doesn't not he doesn't know how he's going to fit Trent into his team. No, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. He turns up in midfield all yeah, the time. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Trent didn't make the squad, to be perfectly honest. I know that sounds insane. No, uh, that would mean, to me, that there's just something is wrong with that. It's uh, look, There's been many a greats in international football, especially in England, who haven't made squads. Mm. But that would be up their highest order. <laughs> that would be like, really? I don't even but want to take him as start, a centre forward. Is, is he going to start for England? Uh, look, do, who are you playing against is important. If you're playing against a team that you'd really no, but, fear... I mean, I mean, in England's best team, does he start? Well, he's really close. I, 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 I'd have to look how he was at the time. I'd have to watch him in training. I'm not just going to make a decision in, um, you know, in May about whether he should be in the England team uh, in the World Cup. But if the World Cup was next week, would he start? Well, he'd be in my squad. He certainly wouldn't be out of my squad. And I'd be <laughs> I'd be thinking of a way of how I get him into the team. And again, the opposition I'm playing against would play a part. It's not about it's not about the opposition, Tony. It, it's well, about it has to be. it's a no. It's about no, it has it's about to be. how good England are. Can they? Yeah. Play well, they can. to his they can strengths. Play. Can they play to his strengths? They... We're going. We're going down the road. Do, they... do you build the team round Trent? Yeah, I was about to or, say. Or, do, you, do you need to play to Trent say, Alexander? Do you need to play to Trent Alexander Arnold's strengths? I mean, to well, win I the World Cup. I don't know if England are capable. But do they need to? That's the point. Do they need to? Surely it should be about Raheem Sterling and Harry Kane's strengths because we've got Carl Walker and we've got Reese James. That's the point. So do you need to rejig things to accommodate well, this incredible to... player? Do you play a black four? Or do you play a, a three with two wing backs? Yeah. Okay. Then you can make an argument. Then you could play Reese right of a three, okay? And you could play Trent as a more of a wing back. You can make that argument as a logical one of making England incredibly dangerous. In my opinion, we're going to have this conversation about England as we get to the as we get to the Nations <laughs> I went off League. Track no, 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 no. It was listen. It's all part of it, Tony. It's all part of it. Um, it, it was interesting though because we were going back to talking about Diaz, not to talk about him as a player, but his um, the ease with which he has come into this country and into that team and excelled. You mentioned him whipping up the crowd, but it's all part of his mentality and his character as well, which I think is one of the things about the, the, the recruitment here that's also being missed. He fits the mode of player in terms of a character that Jurgen Klopp wants. Just him being so ferocious going forward, but his desire to get into the box, his desire to take people on and score goals and all of that drive that he seems to have means that I think this monster mentality label that's been put onto Liverpool, he will be a big part of for years to come that's all I wanted to say about them really we'll, we'll talk about Liverpool possibly being the best team in the world if they win the Champions League which is coming up very very soon of course um, but is anyone worried as Liverpool fans ahead of that Champions League final well we've had two cup finals involving Liverpool I don't know if I mentioned this earlier but they didn't score in either of them <laughs> and they were playing Chelsea who I mean they're, they're an okay side but they're not as good as they should have been this season um, and certainly things aren't going great for the club at the moment, which Thomas Tuchel alluded to at the end. So are you concerned about Real Madrid, where things are going a lot better, that Karen Benzema, for example, isn't going to leave the chances out there? There were chances for mm. Chelsea in both cup finals that they left out there. Are you concerned in any way that if you give Real Madrid those chances, you're not going to win the Champions League final? Well, I'd just like to explain to you that your description of Chelsea is the world club and world European champions as if they were a very uh, mediocre... But they've had a disappointing team. season. Well, that I don't... I'm not disagreeing yeah. with. But, but to describe them, Hugh, as, um, you know, sort of a mid-table Premier League... No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just, and they're I'm, also a team I'm that played incredibly well at the Bernabeu. Yeah, and still didn't go through. And this is my point, OK? <laughs> yeah. All I'm saying is, I think... Can we agree that Real Madrid have been a better side than Chelsea this season? That, you, that Liverpool are going to play a better side than Chelsea in the Champions League final? I think they are. Oh, if, if we do, we all hate Real Madrid now. No, think they're I, terrible. I, I would... They knock Paris Saint Germain and 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 come on, Ch Chelsea... Manchester City and Ch Chelsea out of the Champions League. Now, I think Real Madrid have probably had the most fortunate 
<laughs> run was... of getting through. I can't believe they've got past PSG, Chelsea and Man City in the same manner. That's my answer because I was at the PSG... Oh, sorry, I was at uh, Chelsea against um, Real Madrid at Stamford Bridge. I mean... Mendy's made a horrendous error. He's gifted Real Madrid a, a goal. They've ended up getting themselves 2-0 up in the tie with an away goal and they have thrown it away. They've made enough mistakes. But then that was what PSG did and that's what Man City. And if you want to say being clinical and being punished, that's what Real Madrid were very good at. OK, all right. Well, listen, no worries about the Champions League final for you two. So our only hope now is Manchester City to stop this quadruple in the Premier League at the weekend. I'm sure we'll look ahead to that game on Thursday. We're going to talk Manchester City a little bit later on. Just finally on the FA Cup final, we need to talk about Chelsea in a little bit more detail. Tony, as a former Chelsea striker, Henry Winter has written in the Times this weekend about uh, the game being Romelu Lukaku's wasted chance. Thomas Tuchel had given him the trust. He started the game. Kai Havertz wasn't fit anyway. I think he might have started if he was. Was it a wasted chance from Lukaku? The only thing I could say watching him was I didn't think he was at full fitness. He certainly didn't look, the, the in terms of his physique and fitness, the player that he was in Italy. He hasn't started and played regularly uh, this season as, as much as he would want to. Maybe he just has one of those physiological um, makeups that basically means if he's not playing regularly, he will maybe yeah. be a little bit slower, a little bit heavier. But I also think his style of play against Virgil van Dijk, I mean, he's just going to eat that up all day. I mean, go on. If you want to lean into me, put your back into me. If you want to hold the ball, you know, you need to offer something different against van Dijk, who is the best in the world, I think. Yeah, um, he was poor on the day. Quite static. Judging him against Wolves and Leeds, which he'd obviously previously got goals against. Tough one. He, he just doesn't seem to fit for me into Chelsea's way of playing. You know, if you're static and you want to back into players all the time, one's six foot four and the other one's probably six four, maybe even six five, two centre halves. So him intimidating them is probably not going to work, especially as there's two of them, because he ended up playing on both of them at times. Yeah. You know, he'd end up falling on, on Kanote, or, or Kanote and then sometimes Van Dijk. Um, it was a really bad day for him. It's been a really poor season. Their top goal scorer in the Premier League is Mason Mount, right? All forwards at Chelsea have had a really bad year this year. So we, I just you know, said to you about where they were as a club, but they've really suffered in forward areas. They're third only because of how good they were defensively for large parts of the season and probably midfield and maybe wide areas. Yeah. Definitely in the centre-forward positions. And Lukaku has come from a, for a big fee. I don't know where Timo Werner stands at the football club. I'm probably thinking they're probably trying to offload him. I'm not sure Havertz can play the number nine and get enough goals over the course of a season. Very talented boy, but I don't see him in that position. And Lukaku... If you are, and I've said this before, I was a big centre forward. If I didn't play, I was never as sharp as I should be. And there's a lot of us. I would say John Artson, if you want to go back in the parts, and mm. you know, um, and Noel Quinn and many, many others who have played that centre forward role, we tend to lose our fitness slightly quicker than most. Why wingers or midfielders are not the, uh, as big. We seem to pay the price for looking like we're carrying say, <laughs> a little bit more timber. And and we need it. We need physical. If you look at heavyweight boxers, they gas quick. The reason they gas quick because they're big guys. So if you're not fully on your training and, and playing week in, week out, you can look cumbersome, lethargic, not quite getting there. And that's exactly the description I'd give to Lukaku at the moment. What did you make of his performance? Was it a wasted opportunity for Lukaku? Well, I don't I I wouldn't frame it that way, Hugh, because I don't I don't see how he could have changed it. He's he's become um the epitome of uh, almost in the past football. He doesn't seem to run at all. He ran. I, I remember short distances. He ran. Right? He ran once to meet the ball, and it was like, oh, <laughs> it shouldn't. That's not what we. That's not how football is anymore. Yeah. Doesn't he hold so, the record for five kilometers in the game? Isn't it one of the shortest distances ever? I mean, there, there were times where 
it was really it, like minutes, he would yeah. he would actually physically get involved in the game and he'd run down the channels on one side and he'd hold the ball up and he'd play it back to a a Chelsea defender or a midfielder who'd go back and they they do what they do with the back three and it would come down to Rudiger on the left-hand side and then he'd look for a forward pass and Lukaku would still be standing in the left-back area on the other side of the pitch like he could he could do it for 60 mm-hmm. seconds and then for the next two minutes after that he looked really really tired actually and maybe look it's a hot day and he again he hasn't been playing regularly but you would expect more from a player of his quality and also of course 97 and a half million pounds but he can't, you, you can't get away so you're, from you're framing it as a wasted opportunity as if he could have turned up at Wembley and reinvented himself. No, but I I do think your physical condition is something that when you're away from starting regularly, players should work on. Players, it was his play, first I, game I, in I, a week I, as well. I don't think, yeah, but I don't think players, I mean, look, the modern sports science and technology, if you're going to put in the extra hard yards and you're going to take care of your diet and you're going to take care of your, the way that you live outside of, of football, that players now should change that much physically. Um, because you know there are other players that come onto the pitch at Chelsea yeah there might be different shapes like mm. Tony mentioned but they haven't been playing regularly either and they don't seem to be you know Ross Barkley came on at the end and alright he didn't play for a long period of time and so did Ruben Loftus-Cheek but they, you don't you aren't watching them like what have they been doing you know Ross Barkley doesn't look like he, he's he's got really unfit from literally barely playing a single game this season I think he's played five or six games all season basically I I'm mean trying- I'm trying to think a way of defending him as in, look, he's had injury issues and he's had COVID and he's been out the team. Yeah. That combination is not a very good one to be at your very peak of your condition. So I'm giving him a benefit of that. Should he stay at Chelsea for next year? Only if Tuchel wants him. I'm not sure Tuchel does. I think he hasn't played well enough and regularly enough for a manager to go, yeah, we need him, but it's you know, you've got a guy on a huge contract, so it's a difficult one. And... We have no evidence that he's banging on the manager's door saying, I love this club, I want mm. to play every week. He's, the only public interviews he's given have been to say he can't wait to go back to Italy. <laughs> uh, listen, one player who is definitely leaving Chelsea this summer, we quickly got a touch on Andreas Christiansen, uh, confirmed by Thomas Tuchel that he's on his way to Barcelona. But the story in the Times this weekend is that Christensen made himself unavailable for selection on the morning of the FA Cup final, which came to the surprise uh, of the Chelsea players that he had left the team hotel um, and to Thomas Tuchel as well. Tony, is this something that you think is reminiscent of when you played? Big games come up, players, maybe I think Christensen not starting um, maybe he was told he wasn't starting and that yeah. affected the situation. Obviously, we know mental health is an issue now in football too. We don't know what went on with, with Andreas Christensen or why he felt he needed uh, to leave. But, do, you know, have you ever seen a player walk out before a huge game like this? Not in that. No, if you're putting the game as an FA Cup final, absolutely not. And even if he was, if, if he was named named in the squad but wasn't going to be starting well why would you say I'm not available for the game I don't I, I, don't, I don't get that because you're on the bench and you might play you might not you don't need to do all this now Rudiger's played and he's leaving the football club okay he's put himself his arm up to play now but I he, hope he, he was starting yeah well okay but if you're starting or if you're not starting it doesn't make much of a difference you're either with the team you're still in the contract for a football club yeah. and if your manager wants you and needs you you should make yourself available. Rudiger, right? though, has a good relation, excellent now relationship with the Chelsea fans and the media. Yeah. Everybody thinks he's fantastic. What a loss to Chelsea, arguably. Yeah. Arguably Chelsea's player of the season and certainly the personality of the team, one of the big personalities of the team. Christensen has a very poor relationship with the fans. Yeah. And all the way through, his, he came from the Chelsea Academy. He was sent out on loan... Uh, as a youngster, he was sent out on loan um, as a adult, if you like, to, to, to Germany. And the word was, you know, uh, very elegant defender, needs toughening up, needs toughening mm. up. Comes back and it's a really demanding shop window, isn't it? And because you, because that, that was the background, every time you made a mistake or didn't seem to dominate or have the aura of a proper centre-half, didn't seem to be able to control a game... He, he had labels on him like, oh, he's a bit flaky. Mm. He's not. He's not. He's not got a strong character, has he? And then this this snowballs, and you get to the point where he has um, a pretty dreadful game in the home leg against Real Madrid. He's sort of blamed for the defeat, I, and, 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 and only because Mendy made that mistake was was the spotlight off him. Actually, if, if Mendy hadn't, everyone would have been saying, 
oh, Christensen, you know, he's just not got, he's not got what it takes. And he's not, I don't just don't think he has the personality to want to go back out and prove people wrong. And I think whether he's like ill, genuinely ill, but whether that's because he's actually sort of afraid of what's next and that makes him ill. So he, he is ill, he is genuinely ill, but it's sparked by not fitting in properly. That might be what's happening. I just, my last game, in England was the 1994 FA Cup final. I played in the semi-final and played in the previous Premier League games before the final. Got left out in the final and my contract was up in that summer and I was going to a World Cup. And the thought of me thinking, well, if he knows me as sub, I'm not going to tell him I'm not going to play. No chance. I want to be there. And do you know what? I wasn't a fav- favourite of the fans. You know, Alison's just talking about, you know, Christensen and he's mm, not. Mm. I wasn't a fan's favourite. You know, I would have been one that they wouldn't be bothered if I stayed or not. But I still want to put myself up because my it always come down to I'm under contract for this football club. So my duty is to be available for my colleagues who I've shared a dressing room for the last three years with. I want to be part, of the, I want to be there for them. I want to be in the trenches with them. If needed, I'm called upon, I'm going to play. So there isn't really an answer that Christians could give me that would settle, you know, sit right with me. Mm. Because whether your contract's up, whether you don't like it because you're not being named in the sub, if you've got other issues, then I'm sure, I'm sure Tuchel would have known about it and not selected him. Mm. He's asked him and he's obviously told him an answer that Tuchel didn't like. So why I brought my situation in is because I was there in an FA Cup final that got left out and got put on the bench. Delighted to be there. Delighted to be on that bench that day. Not a, a, a great day for Chelsea, I think, in more ways uh, than one. Well, not a great day for their men's team this weekend, um, but it was a fantastic day for Chelsea's women. Uh, they beat Manchester City 3-2 after extra time at Wembley in front of over 49,000 fans. That's a new record for the fixture. Uh, Chelsea win the double. They retain the FA Cup from last year. Molly Hudson from the Times joins us now. Um, it was fantastic from Emma Hayes' side once again. It was a, a tough, tough, tough match, I think, uh, Molly, but they they're relentless with these trophies. How do they do it? I think you're completely right with that word. They are just so relentless. And I think there's part of it, or quite a big part of it, has to be mentality because, you know, you, you laugh there about the goals. Like the, the opening of that game was very, very cagey. Sort of the first half an hour, we were thinking, God, it looks like we'll never get a goal. And then it really opened up. But I think you could argue that Manchester City were the better team for large spells of that game. And I think that is sort of the biggest credit of Chelsea, that however they play, they don't always have to play their best. You know, we've talked about it on this podcast before. It's it's not a new thing. They've done it throughout the season, that they just find a way and they are relentless. And when it comes down to those key moments, there's always a player providing that moment of magic. I mean, yesterday it was Aaron Cuthbert with a brilliant finish. Obviously, Sam Kerr was there again with two goals, although, you know, not as spectacular as the brace she, she got last weekend. But... They are just so relentless and I think that comes from Emma and her mentality in the way that even though it really looked as though the momentum has turned, we we see it so many times when you get a late goal in normal time at the 89th minute goal from Hayley Rasso, which was a a fantastic finish. You really thought that Manchester City would go on and and take that advantage and and go on and win the game. But then you realise they were playing Emma Hayes' Chelsea and then you didn't think that because... They just don't panic. They're just so calm, whatever happens. And I think that's what's so impressive about them. And that's why they have won so many trophies. If they're going to continue winning trophies, I mean, it's a little bit like the conversation around the men's team, isn't it? What happens next with a new ownership group at the club? How important do you think it is, not just for Chelsea's women's team, but also for women's football in the UK, that Chelsea's new owners take it as seriously as their previous ones? I think it's super important. I think I I wrote a story on Friday that um, Thomas Tuchel and Emma Hayes had had separate dinners with Todd Todd Bowley. And I feel like for me, that was really important that he'd actually taken the time to see Emma. They'd actually had lunch. They'd spent two hours with the squad, watching them train. He'd taken a real interest in, in terms of the Champions League and the kind of playing field there, I suppose, because it's sort of very different, as we've talked about on here before, competing in the Women's Super League to the Champions League. And those teams that are doing really well in the Champions League do actually have bigger budgets than Chelsea, which which seems a little bit crazy to say when 
you know, we're all more than aware that Chelsea, Man City, Arsenal have a lot bigger budgets than a lot of teams in the Women's Super League. In Champions League, it's the other way around. And I think it was a really positive sign that he really took an interest in the women's team. I think, I think we're at a stage now where when there was ownership troubles in the past, you, you saw women's football as the thing that kind of just got left behind. You know, it was the thing that was cost cut or it's the thing that they didn't really care about. It's actually the opposite now. I think if you look at what Newcastle have done and their new owners, the, the team, are, I think, are going to go professional. And they're not even in the top two tiers of women's football. So I think for a team like Chelsea, it's you just have to invest. Like, he just can't be seen to come into the club and not invest in that club. It, it's too much of a attractive prospect. Women's football is too much of a growth sector for him not to do that, particularly the comparative cost that it, it takes to actually compete. Although we are talking about, you know, millions of pounds comparatively to the men's game, you know, what, what Tuchel would have to do in order to bridge that gap to Manchester City and Liverpool. You know, Chelsea, to even bridge that gap to a, to a Leon um, or a team like that, it's not as much investment. And I think, I think it's really positive, but I think, you know, that's the minimum. He should take an interest in, in Chelsea women because they're a fantastic club. They've done things the right way. And I think it's the minimum that we should expect now. Mm, absolutely. I agree with you. Emma Hayes, though, the Chelsea boss, saying afterwards that she felt Manchester City underestimated her team. Did you, do you think that was a fair comment or is it mind games ahead of next season? Yeah, I think I think it's a bit of mind games from Emma. You know, she's of all the managers in the women's super league, she's she's very um, very aware of of what she's saying. I think Manchester City played really well. I think Gareth Taylor and and the City team would be more than aware of of how good Chelsea are. I don't think you can really underestimate a team like Chelsea when you've just seen them win a, a third consecutive women's super league title the, the weekend before. So yeah, I, I don't think they underestimated them. I think she will have been very aware that that game could have gone either way yesterday and I think she was just so so happy that kind of Chelsea had come out on top and yeah I think I, I, I did feel sorry for Manchester City I felt particularly sorry for Alex Greenwood he scored yeah, well I think it was it was still on target wasn't it but de- deflected it past their own goalkeeper it was just it was difficult and I think They've done really well to be that close to Chelsea when you think they lost 4-0 to them in the league uh, in, in November, I think it was. The the way that they've come back has, has been really impressive. So can Manchester City now uh, be real credible title challengers in the WSL next season? I think they can. I think, unfortunately for Manchester City, they've got a little bit of the same problem they had this year, which is that they kind of all went to Team GB. In Tokyo, they come back late, everyone got injured, they didn't really have a pre-season. This season, we're sort of going to be, well, next season, we're going to be in the same sort of problem. The fact that everyone is going to have been part of the Euros, pretty much the entire England team also plays for Manchester City. I know it'll be a similar thing for a lot of the clubs, I suppose, but I think that's where they've really struggled this season, that that lack of pre-season, that lack of preparation. And Gareth Taylor was talking yesterday that ideally there wouldn't be a huge turnover in players just because you don't really have that time to bed them in with the way that the calendar is at the moment. And, you know, it's not just this season coming it's the one after we'll have the world cup next summer so i think i think they'll be up there it's just if they can avoid this same sort of just the amount of injuries they had this season was was incredible really early on and i think if they can avoid that then they'll they'll definitely be up there because when everyone's fit you saw yesterday the the quality they have that that front three in particular you know lauren hemp bunny shaw and chloe kelly is is a front three that would cause any defence in the world some problems. Molly Hudson, thank you for joining us on the Game Podcast. Really appreciate it. Still to come, we're going to be talking about events in the Premier League as West Ham draw with Manchester City and all the events in the relegation battle too. Uh, Make sure though, if you're enjoying the podcast, that you like us, rate us a review and make sure you're subscribed. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Let's get to events at the London Stadium next on the Game Podcast. Um, It was a wonderful day for Mark Noble. After 18 years at West Ham United, he was given a a rousing send-off. Tears in his eyes, but he did, of course, still have time to sweep the dressing room afterwards in true Mark Noble style, a legend of the club. There aren't many of those these days, but um, but yeah, it was nice to see him get a fitting send-off. The match itself was a very good one for West Ham. They went 2-0 up. Jared Bowen once again showing that he, I think, has a future as an England uh, starter. But the comeback from Manchester City, the quality there, okay, fortunate with the own goal and the way that Jack Grealish's goal went in to be perfectly fair. But they fought back into the game and got a crucial point in terms of the title race because it means goal difference will now not be an element as we get to the final day of the season. Alison, you were there. What are your reflections on how both teams played? We're at the end of the season now and there's one game that really matters (laughs) for me and that is how... um, Stephen Gerrard sets up Villa when they go to the Etihad on the final day of the season. So he's going to have to analyse this match and learn from it. And I think he can, actually. I think West Ham are a better team than Aston Villa and they were at home, so it's a big ask. But they don't have Kyle Walker, City. They don't have Ruben Diaz. don't have John Stones to step in either. I think probably Kyle Walker was the big miss simply because of his pace. I mean, as soon as... um, there was a through ball. There weren't many of them, but as soon as it was a clever through ball, there was no one there to react. They 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 looked porous and like a, like a bang average team at the back actually. Because I I made the analogy in my piece that City you treat their own their own half of the pitch like it was once a very beautiful vegetable patch in their garden, but. They've been distracted by nice weather and uh, the kids want to have a paddling pool out and they've forgotten about it. They play so much football in the opposition half when they don't have Kyle Walker to just mop everything up. They they can be got at. And I think what West Ham did was you sort of go in... There's a way of facing City is that you, you start the game either defeatist and just think, oh, we don't want to get hammered. And you sort of, as a group, accept you're probably going to lose or you do what West Ham did, which was you defend with intense concentration, but enough self-belief to know that you can, on the counter, do something. And if, if you hold your nerve and have the personality to do it and the intelligence to do it, just bide your time and you'll get that opportunity. And that is how it that is how it panned out. So I feel that um, with those three defenders missing... There is there is a way through City, who, like I say, there were there were times when it's like they forgot that they have half the pit they're supposed to defend in. It was poor defending, poor defending. Mm. So there's a ch- there's a chance that the last day will be dramatic, if nothing else. Well, I think you're right about the defence of Manchester City. I'm, I'm, I have been for many weeks. I'm sure you've been listening, uh, concerned about the idea of Fernandinho at centre back. Um, he's the one player back there that I really think has a great character. But physically, I mean, Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings will be licking their lips on the final day of the season, trying to run in behind Fernandinho. As Mikel Antonio really had an enjoyable game this weekend as well. But you've got Alexander Zinchenko at left back, who I think is lovely on the ball, but isn't exactly Vinny Jones. You've got Imeric Laporte, who isn't exactly Van Dyke, you know, a, a good player as well, but I think has character traits for the big games and the tough moments that I wouldn't want in my centre-back. Um, and then you've got Joao Cancelo, who, again, you can get at him. You know, he's a very good player, probably going to be in the team of the year, but um, but you can get at Joao Cancelo in a, in a defensive uh, mindset, I think. Going forward, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. So I do think there can be joy for Aston Villa on the final day. Defensively, though, I wonder whether they can cope with 
Manchester City and when Manchester City get the ball in wide areas whether the way that Aston Villa have been playing recently they can unless you think they'll change the system to maybe I don't know play wing backs and a, an extra defender back, back there and maybe they can see out the game and Steven Gerrard can whip off his suit at the end and have a his, his, maybe Alison <laughs> did you wear your Gerrard shirt at the weekend by the way because I didn't even ask you that at the start but he might pull off a, his suit and have a Steven Gerrard 8 Liverpool shirt underneath and run around the Etihad Stadium swinging it over his head I don't know something like that it could, it could happen you know it might happen I don't know Tony do you think Villa need to change up then for this weekend no I think they'll go with a four um, look you mentioned Fernandinho and he's played centre half and right back in recent weeks um, right back you know you, you could easily get past him with real pace um, look he's what is he now Fernandinho 36 37 you know we're asking a, it's a big ask for someone of that age um, and yes his ability but he's not his natural position now can Villa cause some problems? Yes. But it has to come from a very brave approach. And I thought, I was like Alison. I'm glad Alison mentioned there, how do you go about beating City? Do you want to really be pragmatic and, and, and really just offer very little and just defend for your lives? Which I don't think is a very good idea because there's always a moment in a game where they can take advantage and get a wonder goal, get a penalty or anything. All these type of things can happen against City. I think you have to show bravery. And the one thing that stood out for me in the game was the first time ball. If they can get in that habit, of when City are just about to try and catch you on the offside trap that you get your forward in just on that moment. You're literally, it's, it's such a fine line. You're going to get caught offside a lot. But Ollie Watkins is very good at that, of doing that role, of going, I'm going to play right on the shoulder of the defender. Once it gets played, I might be offside, but I could just be a tad onside. And then you can expose City and exploit what they do because they are not the same back line without Diaz, Walker, and maybe even Stones. I wanted to talk about the penalty as well. I think we'll see exactly what Villa do at the weekend and we'll believe it'll be, uh, you'll both be celebrating next Monday or not, I think. Um, but I think Riyad Mahrez, when he, when he stood up to take that penalty, I was concerned, immediately concerned. And I was like, no, not Mahrez. Not in these moments. He's a great penalty taker. He's got great style on the ball and quality, but... Nah, I needed Kevin De Bruyne to take that penalty. We all did. Everyone that doesn't support Liverpool was begging, you know, because we were never going to hear the end of it if you win the quadruple. So obviously we were like, Kevin De Bruyne, please, Kevin De Bruyne. All the neutrals. I know all the neutrals, you're with me when I say this, you know, there'll be no end of office chat and building site chat and, and here in the studio from these Liverpool fans, if they win a quadruple, it will never end and it will be an unbearable summer. So we need Manchester City to win the Premier League title. It is official. I thought Kevin De Bruyne, the character of the player, the leadership there, you know, the strength of character he needed to take that penalty. I couldn't believe Riyad yeah, But Mahrez you're ascribing those qualities to oh. him, but he obviously doesn't have them or he would have done. No, he might just not be as good a penalty taker. He does, doesn't want to. Well, Mahrez hasn't got the greatest record, has he? He hasn't got the worst record either, though. And, and look, I just, I don't know. I didn't see someone that was going to... You know, one of those where I was... But do you say that? Okay, Hugh, because a lot of people are guilty. No, 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 no I don't. people who say, don't fancy him, but they'll sit on every penalty taker. You know, it's... I personally, where I'd go along with you, I don't get the idea of how you can take all the free kicks outside the 18-yard box and your main striker, or the guy that's going to take them then doesn't take the penalty. And I'm sure there's people listening and say, well, there is examples of people who take free kicks but don't take penalties. But to me, it is an obvious choice because he is one of the world's best midfielders and he has the composure in his game to just be in that moment. This is not like a normal league game. Mm. This is not your 4-1 up. This is 2-2. Basically, if you score, you've won the Premier League. That is the ultimate difference of why I would want De Bruyne on that penalty. It's funny because you may say that I'm one of those people that says that to every penalty taker, but even at the weekend, genuinely, the only Chelsea penalty taker that I was concerned about was Azpilicueta. And I, I genuinely... For what reason? I genu because he's because of him, as on the, his quality on the ball and his goal-scoring potential. I know he scored a brilliant goal recently, look, mm. made it look like he was a pomp Raul, but you know, usually he hasn't got the greatest strike in the world. And I did think he's got the character. So 
when he when he struck when he stood up, I, I had no concerns over his character. You know, I was like, Aspilicueta, very good choice, solid choice. I, I, but what I genuinely screamed at the screen, slam it in the bottom corner as hard as you can. That's all I was thinking. I was yeah. like, run up to it and smash it in. I didn't want him to try and do anything special. Maybe by his standards, he didn't try and do anything special. But, I, I don't know if the moment got to him or not. But, but, to, be, but to be fair, to be fair, tomorrow, so I've just been sent this stat. Okay, he's he's only missed two penalties for Man City. So the first was against Liverpool in 2018 and then again against West Ham. And he scored seven in between. So mm. No, nine nine consecutive penalties in between so he's not prior to that he was he was he was always in the list of the worst penalty takers in the premier league history okay. so he's got he wasn't well, great he, at there Leicester. are two sides there are two sides to Riyad to Riyad Mahrez but, but, but it's key one of those penalty misses was against liverpool in a massive game i'm sure yeah, it was against liverpool yeah massive. exactly in a massive title decided possible title deciding game well, the I other, the other one the other here, one is 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 the same Exactly the same type of moment he's missed again. Maybe we're splitting. Maybe African I'm Nations splitting here. Great importance. Do I think? No. Did he win, miss one in the African Nations? In, he did. In great point. I think so it was. Important. I, I'm talking about the moment because it's we're going running the mill week in week out. Penalty taking your records. Okay, this is different. You know. I just explained that taking one where you win the Premier League, basically in scoring, is way different from taking one when you're three 0 up and. You just get another goal. Absolutely, but the best person to take the high pressure penalty is one who takes penalties a lot. Yeah. Because you only get good at something by practicing yeah. it. And yes, there are differences between taking a penalty that effectively wins you the title and taking a penalty which is mid table nonsense. But it's still an important. Every penalty will be in front of 60,000 or so. And or the whole world matter, have been there. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay, then, Tony, sorry, tell sorry. us, tell us, tell us. Well, you take penalties throughout your career, yes. No, no? I took pl- penalties towards the end of my career. Well, from the moment I joined Marseille and then beyond, I had taken them now and again at Millwall, but not. I wasn't the main penalty taker. But I actually became... I had a very good ratio. My last two years, I didn't miss a pen. And my last year, I took six and scored six. Okay? And then I took one in a World Cup last 16 um, and scored in a World Cup moment. And it's it, if I'm comparing that penalty to even though I scored to any other penalty, it's not even close. That walk from the centre circle to the penalty spot, knowing the whole world's watching, fa- family and friends in the stand, it was. So is that it, going it through your surreal. head? Is that going through your head? Oh, absolutely. I'm I'm trying to keep focus, and I can remember thinking low and hard, low and hard, low and hard. Just talking to myself, I was going there. weren't thinking of any. I was trying to you know get myself in that mindset of just low and hard and not think about looking at the keeper not thinking about the crowd not looking at my teammates and what I did I just got myself thinking low and hard was all I have to do and that's what I did and I scored and by the way I took a divot um, and my colleagues <laughs> take the mickey out of me now who play with me and saying the divot it's like a golf shot when you took that penalty which is you know sort of funny but it's it's I can't compare the two penalties of one in that type of scenario so I can imagine for the Mares this weekend is not like taking a penalty in a, a, a routine Premier League match there is a million miles difference for me did the goal shrink because you were a forward, you scored plenty of goals. Well, when you looked at the goal, I tried you... not to look at the keeper. Cause, oh, really? Because likewise, the keeper you you think gets bigger, the goal gets smaller, and then you try and you try. One of the things you got to not do is start changing your mind and thinking, "Well, I'm going to put it in the bottom left now." And then, and then you, I, I know players who have said this to me. They've they thought about putting it in the bottom left hand corner, and the last moment gone the other way. And you sort of think, why did you do that? So I kept thinking low and hard, and that was all I was... It was so simple for me. It was so ABC robotic of just going, look, I could have still missed it. But that was my mindset. Pepe is supposed to be this perfectionist, hugely demanding manager who who sees weakness where all of us see brilliance in his players, always wants more, always wants more. And yet his tenure at City, their penalty-taking has been relatively poor yeah, he's yeah. not he doesn't seem to have got any grips with it and there's a really nice it's only small but it's a really nice piece in the times today where there's we we there's this norwegian um penalty expert who gave um a sort of running commentary erling Haaland. 
<laughs> He's called Gia Jordet or Jordet, I don't know. But anyway, he gave a running commentary on everything that Klopp did perfectly to prepare his players for the shootout and everything that Tuchel did wrong. I thought it was nonsense. I saw this thread as well. My mates, we had an argument about it. I did think it was nonsense. I mentioned Aspilicueta missing. If he scores, then what, what, what do we take from the pitches then? Because Chelsea would have won the shootout. So I didn't get yeah, this. But my point is you take penalties <laughs> and the preparation for penalties but very, my... very seriously. Yes. And but... accept that they can kill you at key moments yeah. or you do the whole well, old fashioned manager thing which is oh you can't replicate it in, on the day so we don't bother see I, I can I just add one word on that I, if we go back a year ago England played the Euro final and there was and I my only problem with the penalties and why England missed them because I didn't have a problem with players missing per se because people do miss penalties but it was the fact that they were three teenagers and that, to me, was, well, this is not an England routine game. It's a bit like I explained earlier. This is guys thrown into a scenario that they've never been. And that's I thought was really weird. That's decision-making that I, I didn't get from upstairs, from Gareth, from his team and his staff, because, of course, they're capable of scoring. They're, you know, from Sancho to Rashford to Saka, they're brilliant players. They've, they're well capable of scoring. But the fact that they were so young and never even got close to this experience bothered me. Mm. No, I see what you mean. I see. I, listen, given our discussion, I think it comes down to a bit of a lottery. I'm going to say that I take it's no part of it. Yes, I take no conclusion from this, despite my anger over who took the penalty for Manchester City and my my clear disappointment that Aspilicueta missed for Chelsea. I've decided after this conversation that it is a bit of a lottery. I I, I take your point on the preparation, but you've got to imagine they prepped. It's marginal gains. For yeah, goodness' I, I, sake, I, I, if you if you if you decide. We're going to take a scientific approach. We're going to squeeze all information that is available on what, how you prepare for a penalty shootout or an individual mm. penalty. That has to be the right approach. Yeah. Thomas Tuchel clearly fiddling with a piece of paper and muttering, muttering, to himself, muttering to himself leaves everyone in limbo. That can't be good. Thomas Tuchel changed the goalkeeper in the last one in the League Cup final. Yeah. Whether you agree with that or not, but marginal games are very important. And just one yeah. quick word on this, because this is really important. If you take the number as one in four penalties a miss, let's go there, right, as a simplistic argument. So if you have any penalty taker that takes them regular, if he has a less than 75% scoring ratio, he shouldn't be taking the penalties because he's going to miss over a course of time more often than others. That have a better ratio. John yeah. what I mean? yeah, but if it, and if it boils down to oh, he wants to, so the manager will go to the player who wants to do it, is prepared to accept the pressure. Mm. How can you put that ahead of the statistics? That's terrible. The only thing that I'd say is that I think that in the shootout in particular, both shootouts, I, I, I think changing the goalkeeper gives you a sense of like a lack of control over the situation. Like we're a little bit frenetic here. We're chasing the situation. Let's let's change the goalkeeper. Let's see what happens. We're already like, you know, we're already throwing in this this element, which I know is marginal gains. But for me, it's like, well, he's not the best keeper. I mean, mm. I, people can say, oh, that he's a better, you know, better penalty saver and they've got a better record and whatnot. But if I, if you're on the pitch, surely you're like, well, he's not as good a goalkeeper. Like that. That's that's all I'd be thinking. I'd be like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel less confident of scoring a penalty against the keeper that has come on just for this scenario to save five shots. So see, that's as an example of everything. That's one of my least favourite words in the world. Oh well, in my 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 head, not in the world. In in my head is an example because you can give an example of everything. Because yeah. Tim Krull, yeah, yeah, with him with the yeah, Netherlands, yeah, where yeah. he was a substitute goalkeeper, Louis Van Gaal picked him to face a penalty shootout and wins. Yeah. So. Hindsight is everything yeah, in this situation. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, guys, I apologise. I was wrong about everything from the start. <laughs> right, that's the top of the table done with. Let's very quickly talk about the bottom. Um, Leeds got a vital point. Pascal Stroit with a header right of the game of their game against Brighton. Um, they were back to their attacking best and it was a. It could be a huge point in terms of them staying in the Premier League because they move outside of the relegation zone. That is a place now occupied by Burnley who had an awful handball, in my opinion, decide their game against Spurs. The Everton game was really decided by a missed penalty decision for a, a grapple, a grab of the shirt, if you like, and a straight red for, for Branthwaite. It ended up as a 3-2 win for Brentford in the end. It's going to be really interesting this final week of the season to see who goes down. I think the points 
a key. I mean, we might as well start with Burnley, really, because if they lose these two games, which is possible, of course, the final two games of the season, they will be going down. I don't know. I don't know. Let's talk about this handball, Tony. Handball, Ashley Barnes, it came off the shin of Davinson Sanchez. Should it have been given? Letter of the I law? Mean, uh, don't. I I get frustrated, with uh, Hugh, because 12 yards from a spot kick against a goalkeeper is a, is a huge advantage. And when I saw the penalty given, I was I immediately thought, yeah, it's within the rules. That's the new laws of the game. That's a pen. Do I hate it? Yes, absolutely. I was a big advocate of VAR, and I never knew the consequences of decisions that are so trivial that, like you, I couldn't believe it was given. Only case I can make is the laws have made it this way. Uh, because... If you look at every corner, every free kick that goes into penalty area, everyone's waving their arms around in some way. You know, it's whether it's deliberate is the most important thing to me. If there is de- a deliberate attempt to get a hand or a ball that stops the opponent having an advantage, I get it. But there was no way on earth I could see Ashley Barnes gaining an advantage. He was totally unaware of where the ball bounced. And there's about four players with their arms up in the air. Okay, the ball's not there, but they're all waving their arms around. Barely touches his arm. Took, yeah, took, barely. Took well, that eight, is... eight viewings to realise it actually had touched exactly. his arm. I, I thought it was incredibly harsh. And I'm, I'm like you, I'm with you. I, I just think it's a very sad place to go because my fear is where you end up. You know, if you keep taking away layer by layer, you know, how insignificant an incident is, you'll end up with, it's like Alison just touched on, you didn't even really notice that it did his arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's one of those that is way too highly scrutinised. Um, yeah. The other thing is, I think if you go over to the screen, watch it in real time, like show it in the situation in real time at super slow motion. I mean, it, it literally crawls up the shirt of Ashley Barnes and, and glides past his hand. It's like you've slowed that down so, so, so much that it, it almost looked like he had time to react when, of course, in real time, he had absolutely no time to react. The only argument is it's in the law books. And, and really, that's what you need to complain about because the law says if your arm is up above your shoulder height and the ball hits it, it's handball. And his arm was up there and the ball did touch it. And so really, we should be complaining about the law rather than how the situation was judged by either VAR yeah, or... Yeah, but the law doesn't on, say... On the law doesn't say uh, it's handball if upon watching in extreme slow motion from 26 different angles there is the possibility that it touched the arm I mean it's just like like Tony said there's no advantage gained whatsoever no and just on that I've had actually had this argument for a while and I remember talking about this in a, in a radio show I can't get why we have to watch things in slow motion I don't get that you should watch it exactly how the game happens in the same time for, for me you know watching watching it happen and then making your assessment. Yeah. Because if you dissect anything, you can make, certainly in context, you can bring something to the table. It's like contact with someone touching someone's leg. You're slowing it down. You can see there's minimal contact, and then that's a pen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. It was a sad way to see the game decided because Burnley are obviously fighting for every single point. Uh, a big win, by the way, for Tottenham in terms of that top four. We'll be talking about that towards the end of the week. I'm sure it'll still be all to play for as long as Arsenal can get something at Newcastle. That's by the by. In terms of the relegation battle, Everton and Goodison Park, more decisions, more VAR deciding the game there. What do you think? Because I think Richarlison probably was fouled. Frank Lampard saying, you know, you, you would give that tug anywhere else on the pitch. You'd be giving a free kick for the, the way that his shirt was held, I think, by Janssen. Um, straight down the other end, Tony is fouled by Branthwaite. It's a straight red card and it changed the game completely. There is clear shirt pulling. You, I mean, it is clearly shirt pulling. But if you're pulling someone's shirt and they're not moving and you're just grappling to make sure you know where they are, make them... Sh- Aware that he, you're he, you're in charge of the penalty area. He could have been moving had he not been held, though. Yeah, his shirt was almost pulled off his back. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's as clear cut as all that because it, because I just felt I just given Richard the way Richarlison plays, he'd have fallen over if he felt he was impeded, mm-hmm. and he didn't. It I'm not saying he ought a, to have fallen over. It, I'm just saying he would have. You know, you're looking at guys that train every day, spend quite a bit of time in the gym. Um, get slightly caught and they go down quite easily 
Um, sometimes laugh. Of, you can be. I mean, I laugh at some of them. Richarlison's won the worst uh, by a country mile. I saw a linesman at West Ham versus Man City get caught by a Laporte where his foot goes on him and catches his... He basically... Uh, he, he lim- the train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. And then carried on doing the flag. And it was the worst challenge I'd seen. In the game. In the game. <laughs> right? And I kept thinking, I've watched 10 players go to ground, you know, like in the Everton game, more often than not, with very little contact. And I'm watching a linesman who's basically just gone, oh, a bit sore. Tap to Laporte and sorry, move on, carry on. No sponge man, no yellow card. <laughs> a bit frustrating for me. Uh, and I've got to give a special mention for Joe Gelhart of Leeds, who, with yeah. a brilliant bit of skill, <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable, really, to have the confidence to do it. Um, just chipping the ball over Lewis Dunk in the six-yard box, flowing it to the back post, Pascal Stroik heads it in. That point takes Leeds out of the relegation zone. They do have just one game to play. Both Burnley and Everton, two matches left. Um, do you think Leeds are going to stay up, Tony? What do you think about them at the moment? They were, they had 19 shots in the game. They were getting bodies forward in the second half, piling forward in the way that they used to um, under Bielsa. And I thought, oh my word, if they play it that way at the weekend, they'll get a couple of goals at least. By the way, Leeds go away to Brentford in their final game. Burnley away at Villa and then Newcastle at home on the final day. And Everton Thursday night, I'll be there. Palace at home and then Arsenal away on the final day of the season. So, yeah, as, as I was saying, if, if Leeds continue to play like that, can they stay up? One game? Um, continue for one game? Sc- to play scoring like a goal in the last minute. And yes, you've read all the numbers and like, I didn't see the game. Um, I've seen enough of Leeds in recent weeks. What I would say, don't expect Brentford not to turn up because they will, as we saw at Goodison. And there is a bit of rivalry between them two in the championship when they, you know, both fought for promotion. So I'm not sure Thomas Frank is going to be um, thinking that Leeds are going to come here. He's going to send out his best 11 and they're going to try and beat them. Thomas Frank, who might be about to be named manager of the season. uh, It's their home goodbye after a phenomenal campaign. It'll just feel like a cup final. It'll feel amazing. That that is so tough for Leeds. It's a tough one. And and Leeds' best chance of staying up is going to be Burnley losing both games in my opinion because I don't believe they can they, they'll go to uh, Brentford and go and win that game I think it's going to be beyond them I, I, I think it's a tough one Okay, we'll see how they get on in the final week of the season. We'll probably, I'm just going to say this now, executive decision, we might wait until those games on Thursday before we see you again to, to look ahead to the final weekend of the Premier League season. But I want to know I know we've run out of time, but I just need to know from Tony, Frank Lampard has as many wins for Everton as his team have got red cards as he got the balance wrong in terms of them going out with fighting spirit. It's been a difficult one because they've been a mess and even the games they won early on in his his tenure uh, at Everton were Boreham Wood in the Cup, Brentford in the FA Cup where they made quite a few changes. Um, There's been some, you know, you could take some hope out the Man United performance that they had. I... I think it's been a really mixed bag for him. And you can argue that has he been caught up as a manager? You know, has he become like a supporter? Because, the, the, the you know, if you saw all the atmosphere before the game and it was galvanised, we say, well, Klopp does that. You know, Klopp does that. But he's got a, a much better team. You know, doing that when you have a confidence in your team is slightly different. I, I saw some hope for them against Liverpool because I thought their work rate and they had a lot of athleticism in their team. I don't know if it's going to fall flat on their face. They'll they'll survive, but I think for next season, I don't think Everton's season is going to be any different from what we've seen. Red that many red cards though. Yeah, is is 
It's a lot. And ill discipline is part of bad results. Mm. It's, a, it's a combination. Right, that is it for what is probably now a very bumper edition of the game podcast. Remember, if you enjoy it, make sure you're subscribed. You can get more great journalism from The Times and The Sunday Times at thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. Final week of the season. We are in uh, to the home stretch, people, but I wonder which way it'll go. We will uh, react to everything, all the midweek football, including that Europa League final on Friday. So we'll see you then. Thank you.